I'm so pleased to be here, especially after spending a couple of days with some amazing men who learned each other's names. Now, to show you the difference, because, Sid, I don't know if you know this, I've I've spoken, it's okay, I've spoken at uh, uh, women's conferences as well as men's conferences, and at women's conferences, they learn each other's names, so they don't have to walk around to be, and this is mostly, by the way, for the guys, so they can go, my name is, okay, I'm Dwight, because sometimes, guys, it's like they just get so busy with other things, thanks, Sid, they get so busy with other things, they kind of forget, so we learned each other's names, but more importantly, we learned each other's stories. And that gave us an opportunity to be able to better pray for each other. Just a quick update from yesterday. It was pretty simple. We met to talk about one subject, and that was the importance of this word, or if you're up in the balcony. Because to quote the great philosopher M.C. Hammer, you got to pray just to make it through the day, right? Am I allowed to do that kind of a move in a Baptist church? <laughs> Three people just walked out the back door. It's like, they, it's only going to get worse from here. <laughs> we talked about the importance of something that it's easy to take for granted. Because we talked about the importance of what would happen instead of worrying if you prayed. What would happen instead of getting panic-stricken about finances or what was happening in a relationship with one of your kids or a boss? What would happen if we just said, oh, God, because don't make prayer hard. It's just a conversation. God, can you help? And God's answer is, well, yeah, I was just waiting on you. He's a good parent. He doesn't step in and rescue us. He waits for us to be able to help or to be able to have a conversation. And what I've learned is it's really, really powerful if you know the importance of words. And so what I want to share with you this morning and, and what uh, I feel like that, that, that God stirred my heart about was to be able to show you the importance not just of words, but maybe some of you are going through what we're going through to have a family member who's very sick. And when you think about last words, Because when you think about last words, those become very important. If I know that I'm going to get to talk to Pastor Sid again, I may not be thinking about it, but if I knew it was our last conversation, I had an opportunity to work at Ground Zero in New York City after the terrorist attacks on uh, September the 11th. And every person above where a plane hit on those two buildings, every person didn't survive because the stairwells in that building were blocked, but they stayed alive almost an hour after the planes hit. And that gave them time to make phone calls and to be able to send emails and to send messages. And there were so many emails and voicemails of the last words. If it was the last words that you were gonna share with somebody you loved, what would you say? Let me tell you about some last words. Brian, do we have the PowerPoint? Okay, so this house is responsible for some of the greatest children's stories, uh, really, in history. It's in Vermont, and uh, doesn't look like much, maybe. It, you know, it's just a big old house. But this is the house that Rudyard Kipling lived in for about five years. He wrote The Jungle Book. Ever heard of that one? Right? 
you know, look for the bear. I'm dancing again. What is it about this place? It just, I get my rhythm on. You know, white men can't dance. This one can. Look at these moves. Sprinkler. Q-tip, throw it away. Q-tip, throw it away. Back it up. I'm here all week. <laughs> this house and that book were, were written. In fact, he wrote Captain's Courageous, Gunga Den. He wrote so many of his stories in those years. The problem was, what in the house? The problem was the house, we can go back and look at the house. The house was owned by his in-laws. Richard Kipling was British. He was born in Bombay, India, um, and he'd been successful, and then the market changed. He lost money, and so they went and lived with in-laws, right? Many of us have gone through that. And his brother-in-law, because Jungle Book became incredibly successful very fast, so did Captain Courageous, so did Gunga Den. So now all of a sudden, they're living in in-laws' houses, but a house, but he's making a lot of money. And his brother-in-law called him out, and they got in a big feud and a big fight. In fact, before the O.J. Simpson trial, the Rudyard Kipling versus his brother-in-law, whose name was uh, Beatty Ballister, was the biggest celebrity lawsuit in the United States. Did you know that? And one day before the big trial, Rudyard Kipling loaded up his family and they moved away. Let's look at his quote. Uh, I think it's the next one. Yeah, look at that. Kipling after that said, words are the most powerful drug used by mankind because the last time he talked to his in-laws and one of the last times his wife talked to her family they, because they moved back to England one day before the trial. Words can hurt. So when I think about prayer, it's just me offering words to God. And God gets blamed for a lot of stuff. Something bad happens. Do people say, you know, oh, devil? Or do they say, oh, somebody else? God gets blamed for a lot of stuff. So when I think about last words... We don't know when bad things are going to happen, but I think these are on a timer uh, if you'll go to the next one. Um, because e each, each hard word is like a brick in a wall, and I want to help you with last words. So let's look at the next one. Yeah. I want you to think about the last words of these folks. Now, th this moves fast. Uh, they're on a four-second dissolve, so take. <laughs> what's he thinking, and what's his last words? But he's, at least he's not wet yet. He's got that umbrella going. I don't even know how to comment. <laughs> Did we have fun? <laughs> no, you got to look. <laughs> That's my favorite one. Okay, let's go to the ball game. He's not supposed to come in the water. <laughs> what, huh? <laughs> when it says don't sit on the rail, okay, they're not kidding. Oh. 
<laughs> oh, no. Yeah, that's going to leave a mark. Oh. This is why beer should not be, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Let me get that for you. There's a phrase, you can pick your friends and you can pick your nose, but you can't pick your friend's nose. In the NBA, they, they have solved that problem. It's like, let me, let me get that for you. Oh, my goodness. All right, so if you look at the next one, here's what I want you to know. We today are at church, but all weekend with the guys of this fellowship, we had church. Because church isn't this beautiful building. Church is people. And if you look, that's President Theodore Roosevelt. And what most people don't realize is that Teddy Roosevelt, as he was commonly called, was our most religious president. He was the most committed to church worship and the most outspoken about the importance of church, particularly for men as they led their families. Did you know that? Because sometimes we hear things about presidents, we hear the bad stuff, but sometimes we don't hear the good stuff. Look at what Teddy Roosevelt said. I advocate a man joining in church works for the sake of showing his faith, how? By his works. The man who does not in some way, active or not, connect himself with some active working church misses many opportunities for helping his neighbors and therefore, incidentally, for helping himself. This is one of the last interviews that Teddy Roosevelt gave. It was for a magazine called The Ladies' Home Journal. And you can look it up on the internet, it's pretty interesting. Teddy Roosevelt's 10 Reasons Why Men Should Lead Their Families in Going to Church. Isn't that interesting? At the time, a former president who said, you know what, one of the most important things a man can do? He can lead his family in worship. See, over the weekend, we learned about the importance of prayer, but I didn't want it just to stop with the amazing experience we had at Lake Yale. I wanted to be able to continue that conversation and I thought, how interesting, because until mm, early this morning, I guess it was, when the Holy Spirit said, I was going in one direction, the Holy Spirit said, it was really cool. Look up this about Teddy Roosevelt and his faith. I never knew that till this morning, Sid. It's like, wow. And it was all over when you search it. It's like, here's a guy, and I like to read. I read about a book a week, sometimes two. Uh, don't be impressed. I mean, usually it's Spider-Man or Superman. They're not really that big. <laughs> that Spidey is something. I mean, whew, I mean, if I had those, Sid, I could get something done. I, in a building like this, I'd be all over the place, I mean, especially with moves like this. I mean, I could just. Now, I read a book or two a week, and, and, and I had no idea that Teddy Roosevelt had so much to say about faith. Take a look at the next thing that he said. I know all the excuses. Remember, he's talking to men. I know all the excuses. I know that one can worship the creator and dedicate himself to good living in a grove of trees or by a running brook or in one's own house, just as well as a church. But I also know, watch this, as a matter of cold fact, the average man who goes out fishing or hunting or out in the woods or nature does not worship or thus dedicate himself. If he strays away from church, he does not spend his time in good works or lofty meditation. In church, a man can listen to and take part in reading some beautiful passages from the Bible. 
And if he is not familiar with the Bible, he has suffered a loss. He will meet and nod to or speak to quiet good neighbors. He will come away feeling a little more charitably toward all the world. Wow. Men leading their families in worship. Men leading their families in going to a local assembly called a church. But the reason I thought this was significant, if we look at the next slide, you'll see. The last words are very important. Not just the last words of a president. When Jesus was betrayed by Judas Iscariot, he took his disciples from a large upper room where they had had the Last Supper, and he took them to a garden. And in that garden, because he knew they didn't, but he did, he knew this is the last time, guys, we're going to have a chance to talk. And he spent the entire time talking to them about the need for growing in their faith, and he gave them, he gave them one marching order. Out of everything he taught in three and a half years, he boiled it down to one thing. Some people call it the new commandment, as it's listed in John 13. A new commandment I give you, love God, love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. The disciples didn't know that this was going to be the last time. I hope that you'll go and you'll read John 13 through John 17. It's the last words of Jesus. When you look at the last words of Rudyard Kipling before he left this country, it was words are hurtful, words are toxic, words destroyed our family relationship. In fact, he didn't write many great works after that. He wrote a poem while he lived there before he left called If. If you can keep your head when those about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you. If you can keep your head when all men doubt you, but make allowance for their doubting too. He wrote some great things, but after so many hurtful things had been said, so many hurtful last words, it's like his creative spark was gone. Maybe you're like that. Maybe you've had hurtful words, maybe even on the way here. Jesus knew it would be his last words, and Jesus knew it was important. They didn't pay attention. How do I know? Because remember, he said, guys, I'm going to go and pray. These are his closest friends. I'm going to go and pray, and I want you, because prayer is important. He said, I'm going to go pray. Guys, this is the roughest night of my life. I want you to stay awake and pray with me. Now, it was late, but he's got 11 friends, so put maybe half of them, right? Half of them will stay awake, and the Bible tells us none of them. And Jesus went, oh, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. And they all fell asleep. And he came, and he woke them up and said, guys, this is hard. He was sweating, as it were, great drops of blood. And he said, please pray with me. His last words, would you please pray with me? And they were busy because they were tired, and it was late. And he walked away, and they were like, yeah, yeah, I'll pray for you. And he walked back to prayer, pouring his guts out, pouring his heart out. And they all went back to sleep. Doesn't that seem sad? I don't think, Sidney, you can get more religious than the disciples, pretty religious bunch. 
And when Jesus said, please pray with me, they went back to sleep. They didn't know it was his last words, but Teddy Roosevelt, let me show you something about Teddy. Teddy Roosevelt was shot, most people don't realize, it was in October 1912. Shot at close range by a man named John, he was a bartender named John Schneck, not the one here in Lake County, a different one. That John's a friend of mine, and, and I don't want it to get back to him that I called him a bartender because he's a saloon keeper. That's the term he prefers. No. John's a wonderful friend, but it's interesting that the name is the same. John Schneck, with a 32 caliber pistol, had been following Teddy Roosevelt on the campaign trail for re-election, was this close and shot Teddy Roosevelt two times in the chest with a 32 caliber pistol. Did you know that? Cleveland, Ohio. Here's the thing that's interesting to me. Next slide. Teddy Roosevelt gave a 90-minute speech after being shot in the chest. Because the bullet at close range, pretty close range, Teddy Roosevelt, like a lot of speakers of the air, had a typed manuscript that he, that he was speaking from. It was 50 pages, folded in half, if you know anything about Kevlar, Plus his spectacle case, his eyeglass case, was made out of metal. It was in his coat pocket. Boom, boom. Now, it still pierced his skin and lodged in a rib, but it didn't kill him. He was a rough rider. Now, listen to this, the interesting thing about TR. He was shot. He was shot. And he took his jacket off and he was bleeding. And in holding direct pressure, he went to an audience and spoke for 90 minutes. And while he was holding the pressure, shirt blood soaked, he was kind of whispering because his lungs were affected. <sighs> Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to ask you to be very quiet because I've been shot. Pretty obvious, right? And they kept trying to take him to the hospital, and he said, I can't. My message for you is too important. Even if I die, even if I die, I have to share this message with you. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? You're hearing a guy talk, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, He's got a bullet wound. So when you think it's the last message that you're going to hear from somebody, I'll stop here for any of you who are nervous. <laughs> because what we learned at a men's retreat wasn't just about prayer. It was about getting real. If you want to be effective in prayer, and you thought, well, what if this was the last time I talked to my marriage partner? What if it was the last time I talked to one of my kids? I've been a counselor over 30 years, and I've talked to too many people who had a screaming fest with their daughter, who then texting and driving was killed on the way to school. And the last thing that mom remembered was screaming at her daughter and calling her daughter a bad name. Man. 
If I knew it was my last time to talk to you, if it was my last time to talk to you, I would say pray. So if it was the last time you had a chance with the person you're sitting next to, if you know them, great. If you don't, learn their name. It's kind of what church is about. We get to know each other. If it was the last time you had a chance to pray for them, what would you pray about? Let's take a couple minutes and talk about it. If you don't know who you're sitting next to, learn their name. But getting real is getting rid of church clothes and saying, man, if it was the last time I talked to you, here's what I'd, here's what I'd want you to pray for me about, and how would you want me to pray for you? So let's have a conversation. Turn to somebody next to you. If it was the last time to pray, what would you pray about? Go. And learn their name. This is good.
So what you guys are going through is called church. 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 And I love the conversations that ended in hugs. I didn't see too many people flipping each other off, Sid, so these were good last words. <laughs> it's funny. As I travel in different parts of the country, you know, you're number one. Apparently, they do that with different appendages. It's, yeah, but last words. Jesus, knowing it would be his last words, said, guys, love God. Love each other. And then really messed it up by saying, love your enemies. Love your enemies? He knew he was leaving. And he knew the message that he had would change the world. Love God. Love each other. Love your enemies. Oh, yeah. And when you come to church, if you get rid of all the churchy stuff and you get rid of that, and you say, God, it's just me. Man, I'm a screwed up person. In fact, we, we did this all weekend long, and this won't surprise some of you women, but, but we'll practice it here. Just turn to somebody next to you and say, you're a screwed up person. Just practice that. Just, you're a screwed up person. Some of you have been waiting to say that for a very long time. Dad, you're screwed up. I mean, it's just some of you can. If it was the last time that we talked, I hope it's not. But if it was, I'd say what Jesus said the last night to his disciples. Guys, love God. Love each other. Love your enemies. But guys, would you please pray for me? He asked them to pray and they fell asleep. And my hope is here at Heritage that you won't fall asleep. We closed yesterday with a video that showed the importance of prayer. Not being churchy, not being religious, just praying. Let's take a look.
thing for your marriage is to pray. The most powerful thing if you're losing one of your kids is to pray. The most powerful thing if you're scared about money, pray. The Father delights in answering your prayers. The most powerful thing with all the pain from your past, your secrets, is to pray. And the most powerful way to pray is in brokenness to say, oh God, oh God, God heal this place, heal me so that I can go heal others. That's church. Not being religious, being real. And that starts with prayer. Pastor Sidney, can you close us out?